start in verse 17 of Acts chapter 7. But as the time of the promise, again, this is Stephen speaking, but as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight, and he was brought up for three months in his father's house, and when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel, and seeing one of them being wrong, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now, when the 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight, and as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their groaning. And I have come down to deliver them, and now I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation of the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers, he received living oracles to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside, and in their hearts they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the work of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven. As it is written in the book of the prophets, did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your God, Rephan, the images that you made to worship. And I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. You may be seated. May God encourage us through the reading of his word this morning. And Heavenly Father, as we do turn our our hearts to study your word more closely, we continue to pray for your grace. 
Help us to behold your son Jesus in these words and for our hearts to be warmed as we think about you and your grace, your redemption. We pray that you would sustain us. We pray this in the name of your son Jesus. Amen. It seems like every time our family decides to build a, a campfire in the, the field behind our house, uh, two things happen. One, it always feels like I'm kind of under a time crunch, so I've got to get this fire going pretty quickly. And, and two, it seems like it's always rained recently. And so I'm there working with wet wood, trying to get this thing to burn really quickly, and it, it often just doesn't go very well. And there have been many times where I've been they're blowing on this pathetic, smoldering little clump of wood. And, and, and I've thought to myself, millions of acres of trees burn accidentally every year. And I can't get this little guy to get going and feel very inadequate. I, I know that there are some things that you can do to get a, a fire going, and, and generally what I have to do is I have to say, okay, I'm just going to take the time to do this right, and you, you're supposed to, you know, expose the dry parts of the wood, so you, you split the wood, or, and you make sure that the, the dry part of the wood is there, and then you, you have lots of kindling, so that you can get the little kindling going, and the kindling can dry out the wood, and then you use lots of water fluid, and those those things can really get that, that, that wood burning right and burning, burning bright, get the, the warmth going as, as the, the little kindling heats up that wood, dries it out, and the, the fire starts going. Our hearts can often become cold toward the Lord. Our hearts can be wet and cold toward God. I think about the, the story of the, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24. Remember what's happened? Jesus has risen from the dead, but these, these two disciples don't quite believe that yet. In fact, they encounter Jesus, Jesus. They're traveling from Jerusalem to Emmaus, a trip of about seven miles, and they encounter Jesus. And the text tells us that Jesus sees them and they're looking sad. And as he begins to walk with them, he, he asks them, what's going on, and, and they begin to tell him why they're sad, that they had believed that Jesus was the one that was going to redeem Israel, and, and now he's been killed, and, and there have been reports that he's alive. And remember what the text in Luke 24 tells us? It says that Jesus, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Wouldn't that have been an amazing walk to be on? Here's Jesus walking them through Scripture and explaining to them all the things concerning himself. And after they recognize him, what, what do they say? After they recognize Jesus, he departs. Remember what the disciples say to, them, to one another? They say, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures. In other words, what they're saying is as, as he began to talk about himself in the scriptures, our hearts were warm, they, were, they burned within us as we contemplated who he was in light of what the scriptures said. 
Now, our hearts don't burn within us the way that they're supposed to do. And, and like the disciples, sometimes what happens is we contemplate our, our circumstances. So like the disciples, we, we look around us and we say, okay, uh, th- things are hard right now. I look at my culture and I, and I think about, okay, thing, things are hard. And my heart can become wet, can become cold. I look at my family circumstances maybe and I say, oh boy, this, this is just... This is hard, and, and my heart, as I look at my family circumstances, can become cold, or I can look at my work circumstances, or I can look at other relationships, and my heart can become very cold as I begin to, to look to my circumstances, but, but what do we need to do? Like the disciples, what, sh- what are we to do? Well, we're to warm our hearts toward the Lord as we behold the Redeemer in Scripture, just as the disciples do here on the road to Emmaus, we, we, we look to Jesus and our hearts are, are kindled afresh within us. Stephen is, is giving this, this speech to an audience here, and this audience also has hearts that are cold toward the Lord. And what does Stephen need to do? Stephen needs to take them, okay, let me show you who Jesus is in, in the Old Testament, show you who the Redeemer is, and his hope is that their hearts can be warmed to God. Stephen's going to confront them with the reality that, look, you don't truly know the Lord. Your hearts are, are cold toward God. In fact, what he's going to tell them is, is you have, you've replaced a relationship with, with the Lord with, with a bunch of rules, with a bunch of laws and, and customs, but, but not God himself. You've turned to idolatry. In fact, here's the main idea that I want us to think about this morning. Like Stephen's audience, If you and I don't love the Redeemer, we might just be in love with some rules. Stephen's audience had kind of adapted God's law and kind of turned it into a bunch of rules, and they were in love with the rules, but what happened is they encountered the Redeemer. They found out, boy, I'm not really in love with the Redeemer. Stephen is challenging them. You're just in love with some rules. And maybe that's where you are this morning. You, you've created a story or a version of Christianity. It's, it's similar to biblical Christianity. It has some, some of the similar components, but it isn't true Christianity. The version of Christianity that you've adopted gives you some rules. It tells you you need to obey them, but those rules don't challenge you to live in submission to, to God himself through a relationship with Christ. And furthermore, those rules that you've adopted for yourself, those isms, can't sustain you when the times are tough. It becomes all too obvious during tough circumstances that there's no relationship there. There's a love for rules, but not the Redeemer. And so what I want to do this morning is we're going to look here at this idea of, of loving the Redeemer as we encounter him in scriptures, what Stephen is trying to do to, for his audience, what we're going to do as well. And we're going to look at, at three sections of Moses' life. And as we encounter each section of Moses' life, there's three sections, each 40 years of Moses' life, we're going to encounter some truths about Jesus and about ourselves. And, and my hope is, as we encounter these truths about Christ, as we look to Jesus in, as he's revealed in Moses' life, my hope is that our hearts will be warmed within us that we encounter these truths about Christ and our hearts would be encouraged and warm as we, as warmed as we turned away from our circumstances and tor- turned toward the beauty of our Lord Jesus Christ.
Here's the first truth I want us to consider. First truth, the first 40 years of Moses' life in verses 17 through 29 that we encounter is that this, that, that on their own, people don't recognize their Redeemer. People don't recognize their Redeemer. What happens here? Look at the text with me, if you would, please, and look at verse 17. It says, the time of the promise draws near. So he's talking about the, the things that were promised to Abraham that he's already talked about, the things that Joseph had not yet received but that are pointed to you in Christ. The, 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 the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, and the, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt. And so they're, they're there in Egypt, and so they're not in a place where they can receive the promises that God had given to Abraham because those promises are to be received in the land that God had promised Abraham. And verse 18 tells us that their situation gets worse. There uh, comes this king of Egypt who doesn't know Joseph, and so he's not aware of the relationship that, and the indebtedness that he has toward the Israelites. And furthermore, verse 19, he dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their, their infants so they would not be kept alive. And you know the story of, of Joseph. We've talked about it before. The story, excuse me, the story of Moses, as we've talked about it before in Egypt, it's a horrific time for the Israelites. They're under oppression from this king. Not only are they under oppression, but because of the fear that he has toward this people and what they could potentially do to him and his reign, he begins to have their male children killed. It's a time of incredible horror and you can imagine that the hopelessness that the people of Israel feel. And then what happens? God begins to prepare a redeemer. Look at verse 20. Moses is born. He's beautiful in God's sight. He's brought up for three months in his father's house. And you know the story. He's exposed. He's taken to the Nile River in a basket. And Pharaoh's daughter sees him, adopts him, and brings him up as her own son. Moses, Stephen tells us, receives all the wisdom of the Egyptians. He's mighty in his words and deeds. In other words, God has, has, has sovereignly laid the ground for Moses to be this instrument of redemption for the people. And verse 23 tells us we come to the end of the first 40 years of his life. It comes into Moses' heart to visit his brothers. And I think the book of Hebrews kind of describes this for us in a little more detail in Hebrews 11. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, which I guess 40 is grown up, I like that. Uh, ref, he re, you're just getting to become an adult as you turn 40, apparently. Uh, he ref, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Moses is, is brought to that point. He considers the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. In other words, God has prepared Moses for this moment to be an instrument of redemption for his people who are suffering. But what happens? It tells us that at the moment when he thinks the timing is right, he defends one of his people. He sees one of them being wrong. He Defended the oppressed man, avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. And then verse 25 tells us he supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. But what? Did they understand? No. The text tells us, but they did not understand. 
And then as he encounters one of his, uh, two of his brothers fighting the next day, uh, the man who's wronging his neighbor says, look, who are you? Who made you a ruler and judge? So here's Moses. He's this agent of redemption that God has provided for his people as they encounter this incredible time of a horrible time of oppression. And the people look at this Redeemer and, and they don't recognize the redemption. Who are you? Who do you think you are? And, and who made you a ruler and judge? This is the truth that we see in these verses, right? People don't recognize their Redeemer. On our own, we don't recognize that the path of redemption and the Redeemer who calls us to that path. Over and over again, we, we see this, right? Oftentimes, people come into a church and, and they've been hurt. They've been, they've been uh, hurt in some very significant ways and there's, there's been oppression and, and fear and, and they come into a church and, and you share the gospel with them and they begin to, to, to see the Redeemer and the, the path of redemption and they say, I, I'm not buying it. Or, or you talk to someone, you, you begin to counsel someone, they come to you and say, hey, I, I need some advice. This is what I'm going through. This is my hurt. This is the fear that I'm struggling with. And you say, okay, good news. Here's Jesus and here's the redemption that he offers and here's this, this path of redemption that you walk on as you follow your Redeemer. And people look at that path and they go, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not convinced that that's the case. And so, instead of following that path, we, we follow other paths. We follow the path of moralism or legalism. We follow different fearful paths. I, I think about Jesus' words to his disciples in John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, he recognizes that people who are listening to him kind of have a favorable impression of him, but they don't recognize who he is as, as the Redeemer. And so he begins to say some very hard words that only make sense if they're accompanied by faith and recognition of who he is as Messiah. He begins to talk about feeding on him, about him being the bread that comes down from heaven. He says these things as he's teaching this synagogue at Capernaum. And the disciples hear it, and they say, uh, yeah, that, that's a hard saying. Who can listen to that? And Jesus, knowing that the disciples are grumbling, doesn't say, oh, it's, it's okay. Let, let's just start with little truths, and then we'll build up. He, he, he says, no, you need to understand who I am. Are, are you going to be offended by that? Well, well, be offended by this. <laughs> what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It's a spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help of all. And then he says in verse 65, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. You can't recognize the Redeemer unless God gives you the ability to recognize the Redeemer. And then I, I love what he says next. He looks at the 12 and he says, look, so, so the disciples, many of the, his disciples leave at that point. And he looks at the 12 and goes, do, do you guys want to go too? And what does Stephen say? Uh, sorry, what does Simon Peter say? Lord, to whom shall we go? There's no backup plan that we have here. 
There's no plan B. You're it. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Brothers and sisters, the the things that God calls us to do to to recognize Jesus, as, as he gives us the ability to recognize our Redeemer, and we see the beauty of the Redeemer, there should be hearts within us that that, that, that warm toward him, that, that love him, that burn within us as we encounter Christ in God's Word. And the things that Christ calls us to do as we recognize him as Redeemer, we may not always understand that, that path of redemption that he calls us to walk. It may make no sense, like leaving a good-paying job because God desires us to do something else, or, or getting out of our selfish routine and investing in other people's lives with the gospel serving in ministry, uh, giving of ourselves in a way that even endangers ourselves emotionally or sometimes even physically, those things won't make sense to us unless we recognize the Redeemer. And as we recognize the Redeemer, there should be a response of love within our hearts, warming toward Him. Here's the second truth I want us to consider this morning that should also warm our hearts as we think about Jesus Christ. Rejected Redeemers still bring redemption. Rejected redeemers still bring about redemption. In other words, you don't say, well, I, I rejected the redeemer and I, I, I now I have no hope. And God doesn't say, well, you rejected uh, Christ in, in your heart and now uh, I, I'm done with you. For God's people, the re- rejected redeemer still, despite his rejection, brings about redemption. We see this over and over again in Scripture. And we see it in the life of Moses. Now we're in the, the second 40-year period of Moses' life. And you see this beginning in verse 30, 40 more years have passed. We're at, the end of the, we're at the end of the second 40-year period of his life where he's been in Midian. And it says that the angel appears before him. There's an angel and then he hears the voice of the Lord in the bush. And when Moses sees this in verse 31, he's amazed. And then the Lord tells him, I'm the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. Moses trembles, doesn't dare to even look. And God tells him to take off his sandals, the place you're standing is holy ground. And then he says this in verse 34. I've surely seen the afflictions of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their groaning, and I've come down to deliver them, and now come, I will send you to Egypt. Despite the rejection of Moses, God sends him. God is a compassionate God. The pattern in in Scripture is so clear. God sends redemption. God's people were rejected, and God still brings about redemption. He still works that plan of redemption in his people. He's sovereign. Moses recognizes the awesomeness of God. He, He trembles. But God says what? I will send you. I am going to deliver my people. The amazing truth that we encounter in Scripture is that God's redemption doesn't require our approval. In other words, God doesn't say, okay, here's, here's the plan of redemption. What do you guys think? Show of hands? Everyone okay with it? Oh, no? Okay. Uh, other proposals? Okay, we have a motion for me to redeem this way. Second the motion? Okay, that's not how God operates. God says, here's my plan of redemption. We reject it. Okay, here's how I'm going to bring about my plan of redemption in your life. In his grace, he continues to do it. I think about my <laughs> my children, the, the first 
the first 10 years that we were in Illinois, it seemed like the winters were really, really bad, like really rough winters. And recently I was realizing, you know, winters don't seem as, as bad anymore. Maybe it's because it's November right now and January asked me again. But right now winters don't, as my memory is that winters aren't as bad as they used to be. I, I, but I think what's happened is this. Our first 10 years or so here, we had little kids that were trying to go through winter with. It seems like you'd, you'd be at someone's house and then you're trying to leave and they've opened their door and the cold air is coming to their house and now we're trying to, to wrestle with these, these children with their coats and the, you know, you got the little kid that's just kind of struggling, I don't want to wear the coat and you're like, yeah. and then they're, they're trying to wipe off the, the snot from their face and things and, and they're just, no, 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 no. And, and, um, and part of you is like, well, fine, like, I don't care. You're the one who's going to be cold and you would never do that as a parent, right? Just throw them in the snow. Okay, fine. You know, have fun. No, what do you do as a parent? You say, okay, we're gonna love you. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna put the coat on. I don't want. I don't care what you want. Right? Here's the truth we encounter in Scripture. God, despite Romans five talks about this, despite us being His enemies, Christ dies for us. He, he works within our hearts to 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 warm us toward Him so that we can receive His plan of redemption. I think Scripture is very clear. God changes the hearts of people to allow them to, to trust in Him, to allow them to receive salvation through faith. The, the word we use for this is, is monergism. It's, it's God's work alone. One, wor- one work, one God who's doing the work. It's not us working with God to save ourselves. God does the work. Two thoughts about our response to this truth, how, the, how this warms our heart. I think Scripture, again, just so clear. There's numerous examples of this principle. The more you grasp the depth of your own sin and the height of God's grace, the deeper your love for God is going to be. It, it's, it's inevitable. The more you grasp the depth of your own sinfulness and, and the height of God's incredible grace in saving you, despite your rejection of him, the, the deeper your love for him is going to be. You lack a love for God. Perhaps it's a lack of recognition of your own sin that helps cause that. I think about the story in Luke chapter 7. Remember that story? Jesus has been invited to one of the, the homes of a Pharisee, and the, the woman comes in, and she begins to, to, a woman who Luke describes very discreetly as a sinner, and she begins to uh, weep and to, to wash his, his feet with her hair and the, her tears and the ointment. And the Pharisee looks at that, and he's, he's shocked. He says, man, this guy's really a prophet. He would know what's going on. And Jesus tells a parable. He says to the Pharisee, he says, a certain moneylender had two debtors, one who owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay it, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he says to him, yeah, that's right. He turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Then verse 47, therefore I tell you, and this is so profound, her sins, which are many, are forgiven for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little 
loves little. Would you describe your love for God sometimes as, as little? Perhaps it's because you believe you've been forgiven little. As we encounter the story of the Redeemer here, as, as Stephen tells it, what he's saying is, look, as God, as God delivered his people in his grace, they didn't understand it. And you, rulers, you part of the Sanhedrin, you don't love God rightly because you have rejected the Redeemer and don't even recognize that he's continuing to offer redemption. The greater your love for God related to that will be the greater awareness of your sin. Here's the last truth I want us to think about that will warm our hearts to God, I believe, as we contemplate the seriousness of this truth. Thirdly, people who reject their Redeemer actually embrace idolatry. We've talked before about the law that God gave to Moses and how it points to Christ and how it reveals Christ, reveals our sin, reveals our need for a Savior. And notice, notice how closely Stephen is beginning to, to link Moses and, and Jesus' redemptive ministry. It's, it's, it's illusion still at this point, but it's going to get greater and greater as we go through the rest of his, his sermon. And now it's getting, it's, it's getting a little even more clear. It's, it's about to get really, really clear. But notice what he says. He keeps using the word this. Like, you have a conception of Moses but your conception of Moses is wrong. This Moses is the one that was rejected. This Moses is the one that was sent as, as ruler and redeemer. This is the Moses that led them performing wonders and signs in Egypt. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers, who of course is Jesus. This is the one that, the that was with the congregation in the wilderness. Now, what is, what is Stephen trying to do here? He's drawing the parallels between Jesus and Moses. The redemption in the, ex, in the Exodus is a picture of God's redemption of us, and Moses is a picture of Christ here. He's the redeemer who becomes a ruler. There's a deliverer who delivers through signs and wonders. There's, there's a prophet there's a mediator between God and man. There's a person who gives words of life. You know, Stephen describes him, describes the law here as these, these living oracles. And what does God say about the, the words that, that we've received? John chapter 5, I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 1, you've been born again not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. And then in, in John chapter 5, Jesus would say, look, if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. The, the living words that Moses was writing were words about me, but if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And then, so, so Stephen is trying to draw this parallel between Moses and Jesus as both redeemers, but I think the main thing he's showing them is, look, just, the most important parallel is, look, just as this redeemer is rejected, the redeemer of Moses so you're redeeming, so you're rejecting this Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Jesus is even greater than Moses. You've rejected the one to whom Moses pointed. Stephen's audience, the, the 
counsel here, has believed some, some truths about God, but not the true God. And so they've embraced an idolatry. And this is exactly, he says, what happened with our fathers. Verse 39, our fathers didn't obey Moses. They thrust him aside. And then there was this steady degradation. They, first of all, asked Aaron to make gods who would go before them. And so they, they uh, made these, the, the, a calf in those days. They offered a sacrifice to the idol, verse 41 tells us. They were rejoicing in the work of their hands. And so this, this, the idols they were worshiping had some similar characteristics to Yahweh, but they weren't Yahweh. And then what happened? God turned away. This is very similar to what we see in Romans chapter 1, and he allows them to continue in their false worship. And this, he quotes Amos here, did you bring to me, did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? In other words, as you engaged in this worship and called it worship of me, you are practicing idolatry. If we decide to reject our Redeemer, there's, there's no other option but for us to embrace some form of idolatry. You need to get Moses right, says Stephen to the Sanhedrin. And to fail to get him right means you've embraced idolatry. And the version of religion that you have adopted for yourself, this religion of rules, isn't going to be effective. It's possible, brothers and sisters, that we have, we have not responded to Redeemer, but we've responded to rules. It's possible that one of the reasons that our love toward God is cold is because we haven't encountered the true God, and perhaps that's you this morning. You haven't truly encountered Jesus Christ as a Redeemer and placed your faith in Him alone as a Savior. You've encountered some of the peripheral truths about Christianity. You've responded to those, but really what you've embraced is a moralism or, or a legalism. Uh, some people have embraced Marxism and called it Christianity or uh, some form of, of nationalism or materialisms. And, and there's all these isms and narratives that allow us to, to keep our idols and say that we're worshiping Jesus as well. But what do we, what do we see in Scripture? That the true Christianity, that the true story of redemption encounters the Redeemer and says, okay, this is the Redeemer who I'm trusting Him with my eternal soul. I'm, I'm trusting Him alone for eternal life. I'm not going to replace this Redeemer with an idol. Now, how does all of this warm our hearts? If we find ourselves not in love with the Redeemer, we may just be in love with some rules. But instead, for those of us who by God's grace have been saved, well, what do we believe? We believe that God in his kindness has allowed us to recognize the Redeemer. We have the ability to encounter him in Scripture and, and, and recognize him and see his beauty. We believe that God, despite our rejection of the Redeemer, has worked about our redemption. And we believe that God has allowed us to turn away from idols to worship the true and living God. And how could our hearts respond with anything other than love. I hope that your souls are encouraged this morning as you behold Jesus, truly Jesus, the true Redeemer, and pursue a relationship with him through faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our great Redeemer, Jesus Christ. We thank you for how 
we have the ability to enter into relationship with you through faith in him. And Father, as we encounter these truths in Scripture, allow our hearts to burn within us. Help these truths to be, to be kindling that, that causes hearts that sometimes have grown cold as we look toward our circumstances. Help our hearts to be warmed as we behold the beauty of your Son, Jesus. And we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you.